Lord, we're thankful for the special day that it is, the birthday, the uh, celebration of the life of this nation that you've allowed us to live in and be citizens of. Lord, we thank you that your work is going on in hearts and lives. And Lord, we just ask that you take each part of the service. Lord, let us love you enough to keep your commandments. Let us understand what real love truly is. Lord, let us look to you in every situation we face. And Lord, I pray that the preaching time today would draw us closer to you. And Lord, that I would not say things that would hinder the understanding of your word. Lord, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in every part of this service especially the time of invitation, that we would surrender again our lives to be your servants. And Lord, should there be one here today that does not know you as their Savior, does not have the knowledge of their salvation, that today would be the day that they would settle that according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may dismiss to the Children's Church and Toddler Church. there's ever a time we need the watchmen to be doing their work, it is in our day and in our time. And there, uh, I don't know if you share some of the foreboding that I do as an American, uh, just watching what is going on, the, the level of rancor and things going on in political circles that uh, honestly have not happened in American politics since the early 1800s. Uh, do not, do not be deceived. Do not think that this is the worst time in American history. Study your history. Uh, the 1804 election cost Alexander Hamilton his life in a duel. Uh, we have not had these things happen yet. It took, uh, I can't remember the number of ballots uh, that finally uh, are Second president was elected on, but it was well over 20 ballots that were cast in the House of Representatives trying to break the tie. Uh, And so things are bad. And I often have wondered, and I, I need you to pray with me as I preach this sermon this morning, because we're, we're treading on some very, very sacred ground here. And oftentimes, I mean, I, I grew up listening to preachers preach about what we needed to do to turn this country around. And, and I'm not here to criticize or disagree with any of those men. But I, I think maybe we're heading in the wrong direction in trying to get things accomplished. In uh, our Sunday morning services for the last several Sundays, we've been talking about worship. And I, I want to present something to you. The song that the children just sang was a song that Julia wrote many years ago. We sang that song in churches as we were going around asking for their support uh, that we might come here and start this church. And I I believe that uh, that song is no less true today than it was back then. Uh, We need Christians to do the job. 
of warning our society. You know what? God doesn't save cities. He saves souls. And He saves souls one at a time. But could I challenge you today, if your worship to God is not what it ought to be, that God is going to be hindered in using you to win others to Him. I ran into someone years ago, and their basic idea was, well, listen, I, I went out today and passed out tracts, and three people prayed to ask Jesus to save them. Therefore, I must be in good spiritual shape. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's scary ground. It's not supposed to be, it's supposed to be exactly the other way around. We cannot judge our spirituality based on circumstance in what we do. Did you get saved that way? No, you got saved by humbly pleading for the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen. And believing that He died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And that He is the only hope of eternal life. There's only one way of salvation. Friday morning, I preached a memorial service for my cousin. She died several months ago. And, and uh, at that point, the family could not get together. And so we elected to come together this, uh, this past Friday. And uh, one of my... Uh, it was an interesting time. One of my cousins remarked to me, he said, I don't think I've ever been anywhere where there have been this many Montoros in the same room. And, uh, of course, our family kind of helped that, at least right now, because there's 14 of us. And so, uh, I mean, that was it was a nice time of fellowship. And praise God, my cousin knew the Lord as her Savior. And what I was able to do at that funeral was... Present the gospel of Jesus Christ. If Posey, that was her nickname, uh, we call if she had been alive, she would have said, listen, give them the gospel. And so that's what I did. And that same cousin came up and he said, nobody at this funeral has an excuse to miss heaven. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege to serve the Lord. Even at a funeral, amen? At a memorial service, technically. And as I was praying and thinking, and, and it is, I don't know about your past week, but uh, uh, I'm glad this last week is over. Uh, I'm glad everything that was done was done, but I hope I don't have to do that again for a long, long time. It was a crazy, crazy week. And yet... As I was thinking about this sermon, something came to me. I I can't tell you how many times I've read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Twice in our church, we've gone through the book of Revelation. And as I was praying, the Lord just touched my heart with the message this morning here. And I hope that it's a blessing to you as it is, as has been to me, because... What we see here in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we get a glimpse into heaven. God just opens the door a little crack and lets us see in. 
And let me tell you what heaven's going to be about. Heaven is going to be about worship. It's not going to be about anything else. I get a little nervous sometimes because we have these ideas in our earthly existence that the first thing we're going to do when we get to heaven is we're going to visit those that have gone on before us. Let me tell you something. The first thing you're going to do when you get to heaven is you're going to go to the throne. And you're going to stay there. Because if you could look on God, does anything else matter? No. Nothing else will matter. Now, God has given us an opportunity to prepare for heaven. It's called church. Amen? We come together and we're supposed to worship Him. And I want us to look at the pattern of worship that is presented here in Revelations chapters 4 and 5. Let's start in verse 1. It says, after this, after what? After the letters to the churches. After Jesus instructed his churches on how they ought to behave. And by the way, I really don't recommend reading a lot of commentaries and things. People come up with the nuttiest ideas. I don't believe that these are church ages represented. They are literal churches that were in existence. And those churches had problems, almost all of them. You know what? Jesus is interested in solving the problems of his churches. Amen? Now, there are some churches, the organizations that call themselves churches that Jesus isn't worried about their problems because they're somebody else's church. They don't belong to Him. You say, well, how can you tell the difference? Well, it's real easy. Jesus' churches do what this book says. They don't get their doctrine. I don't know how many people... You, you must have been raised a Baptist to become a Baptist preacher. Isn't that right? No, it doesn't work that way in the Baptist group. My dad was a machinist at Black and Decker. I was not raised in a Baptist church, per se. Praise God, that church has changed. It, it left being a non-denominational church, a, a church without identification. If you go down there and ask them today what kind of church they are, they'll tell you, we're an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. I said, I like that. I didn't become a Baptist because my parents were. I became a Baptist because I don't think I have the right to ask Jesus to join my church when he already started his. Amen? Can we say amen to that? Am I in the right church? But Jesus is instructing his churches in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, actually chapters 2 and 3. Verse 4 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet. Now, does that ring any bells with anybody? It ought to. With the shout, with the trump of God, Jesus is coming back. Amen. 
This is talking about an event we call the rapture. What did that voice say? Come up hither. That door is opened. Jesus has promised to preserve his people from the wrath to come. But if you wake up in the middle of the tribulation period, have you been saved from the wrath to come? No way. Jesus is going to take his people out of here before the tribulation comes. Somebody says, that is fantastic. I can't really believe that. I believe it because the Bible says so. But let me tell you, there's some people that come up with some stuff that makes that look really sane. How many of you remember Mr. Applewaite from California? Nine people committed suicide the same day believing in a man who could not stand in a room without heavy-duty psychiatric meds administered on a regular basis. And they believed that they were going to join the mother ship that was orbiting around the earth in the tail of the Hale-Bob comet. And if they would kill themselves, they would be transported to that ship. I'll tell you what. This Bible looks awful sane compared to kooks like that. Amen? How many of you remember Louis Farrakhan? I mean, that name means something around here. Wookie kooky. Uh, I mean, there's just no, no adjectives in the English language that, des- that describe properly the derangement that exists in the mind of that man. And I think he's just watched too many episodes of Star Trek or something. But, I mean, don't you criticize this book. Because it tells us the truth. Amen. He said, a voice said, come up hither. John said, I was immediately in the Spirit. And immediately I was in the Spirit. Verse 2, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. Now, the first point I want to bring from this passage in the pattern of worship from the Bible is you must have the presence of God. People worship all kinds of things. You can walk into buildings today, uh, churches, temples, uh, mosques, Whatever, jammies, I mean, there's all kinds of different names for the places where people worship. By the way, last night, people gathered in various spots all over the city to worship. They called them bars. They called them nightclubs. They called them by all kinds of different names, but they were still gathered to worship their God. The first thing I want you to understand is we worship the God of heaven. And don't be confused today. We have people that pray to the God of Abraham and the the God of Allah and the God of the Christian. By the way, the Christian church was around over 500 years before Muhammad was born. Don't, Don't 
Don't get caught up in the antiquity of a religion that's not that old. All of those gods are not the same person. What brought the persecution of the Christians in the Roman Empire was not their teaching about Jesus. You see, the Romans believed in adopting the religion of the people they conquered. In fact, their pantheon was full of gods. And when Jesus came along, they asked, now who is this Jesus guy? And they said, well, he's the creator. Oh, well then, we'll take him from over here on the sidelines and we'll move, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll move Jupiter over and we'll put Jesus as the chief God. And the Christians said, no, you don't understand. It doesn't work that way. Well, what, do you, what do you mean it doesn't work that way? It's worked that way with every other people we've conquered. And we're willing to make your Jesus number one. If that's who he is, if he's number one, hey, let's do it. And they said, no, no, if, if you're going to put Jesus in here, then you've got to break all the other statues and get rid of all the rest. I said, whoa, wait a minute. We're at Rome. The one true God is the emperor. And his power is enforced by the sword. And the Christian said, we're not afraid of the sword. We're going to stay true to our Savior. And they died. By the tens of thousands, they died under different of the emperors. We worship one God today. But that God has revealed himself to us in three distinct persons. Not personalities. He's not schizophrenic. Three complete persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It took the Orthodox Church about 400 years to get that thing straight. Finally, the Council of Chalcedon, 451 A.D., they finally were able to figure out that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. But I want you to understand, if you'll look at your history, in that ensuing 400 years from the time of Christ, 420-some years from the time of Christ to the Council of Chalcedon, there were so many corruptions and so many perversions of so many doctrines that even though they finally figured out who God was, it didn't make any difference anymore. Because they had lost their understanding of salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They had adopted a salvation that is earned by the things that you do. The first thing John saw when that door opened and he heard that voice as a trumpet calling him to come up hither, the first thing he saw was a throne. And I know somebody's thinking, now, Pastor, what does that all mean with the uh, emerald and the rainbow about the throne and, and all of that? I'm going to be honest with you today. I don't know. 
But it sure must be beautiful. Amen? I'll tell you, it's something we can't describe. And if your God is so small, you can put Him in a box and you can describe Him and you can understand Him. I want to challenge you today. Would you trade Him in for a God that's bigger than your comprehension? Would you trade Him in for a God that is the true creator of the entire universe, that His workings cannot be found out or understood completely by the object created? The first thing John saw was a throne. (coughs) Then he saw four and twenty seats in verse 4. In verse 6, it says, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And, the midst of the thr- and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were full be- four beasts full of eyes before the throne. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had the face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now we see this thing called worship spelled out for us. God is not being worshipped here so much for what He has done, but for who He is. Now, because God is who He is, God has done great things. He is the Creator. Now, that idea of being a Creator means that He made everything that now is. If you want to know why evolution is such an issue in our day and time, because it is the best attempt that man has been able to come up with to explain away God. If you've ever studied evolution, they say the most amazing things. Um, You've used this example. I I just can't think of anything more ridiculous. But... um, I can't remember who it was, but they told me the story of being out in the deserts in, in America's southwest. And there was a, a little placard there explaining how the cactus got its prickles. You see, the cactus knew that it stored water and all the predators in the area would want its water. So it grew the prickles to protect itself. Now, if you believe that, let me tell you, you'd spy the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, if you believe that, uh, I, I'm not questioning your intelligence. I'm questioning your heart. You have to want to believe something that foolish, awful bad. 
it says, For thou hast created all things. That's why we worship God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. You can't have faith in God unless you're willing to believe. The God, in the God, this book called the Bible describes. Everything that now is was made by his hands. And it says, for his pleasure and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now that's a phrase that a lot of us could have problems with if we do not understand our English very well. God did not create the earth and us as mankind and everything that's in it because he wanted to have fun. That's our idea of pleasure. God created us. The idea of the word pleasure means to show his power and his glory and his goodness. I remember talking with one man. He was a real proponent of of all these things and hated God and believed that there could be no God. And I said, now listen, we've studied this universe in which we live. We have not found life anywhere but on this one little planet, which just happens to be the perfect distance from the sun to give us heat and cold and all of those things said who but God could waste an entire universe on one little planet you ever thought about that have you ever seen the pictures of the planets and the cosmos and the nebulae and all of the things that are out there I could sit all day and just look at pictures of God's creation. And yet, if we had some way of doing it, getting a microscope and just getting a little drop of water out of the gutter on the street, we would find a whole world of life in that one drop of water. And we could open up that drop of water and get a very powerful microscope and go down and find out that every little animal that is swimming around in that pool of, in that drop of water is made up of molecular structure that is far beyond our imagination. Every atom is a picture of the entire universe all inside. Do you think these people in heaven surrounding the throne don't understand those things? It says when we're with Christ, we'll know as we are known. That's why they're worshiping him that sat upon the throne. Amen. The presence of God. But I want you to see the next thing that God does. His presence is there. I love to just sit and think, what, what would John have been going, going through John's mind as he's seeing all this stuff? The only thing I know is being overwhelmed. That's why they fall on their face and cast their crowns at the feet and worship him that sits upon the throne. 
But in verse 5, and chapter 5 in verse 1, we see a problem. He said, wait a minute, preacher, there are no problems in heaven. That is exactly correct. The problem wasn't for anybody in heaven, but it sure was for poor John. Let's look at it here. Verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Is there something going on with this PA this morning? I'm hearing all kinds of things up here. Okay, we'll just push through and try to figure out what's happening. But... God presents a problem here. He is holding a book in his right hand. And if you read the rest of the book of Revelation, you're going to find out all the things that the the seals in this book includes. It is the wrath of Almighty God pent up from all generations. It's going to be poured out upon this earth in a seven-year period. And as God is holding that book, sitting upon the throne, the mighty angel proclaims, who is worthy? Now, it tells us that they checked in heaven. It tells us they checked in earth. It tells us they checked under the earth. And no man was found. And John wept much. It's because he didn't understand. You see, when God wants us to worship Him, the first thing we have to do is understand His presence. The second part is we've got to understand the problem. There was no man found worthy. And why do you think that word man was used? We all know the answer, I would hope, because there is only one man in all of history who is worthy, and he was no ordinary man. He was the God-man. As much God if he had never been man, as much man as if he had never been God. You say, how do you explain that, preacher? I don't explain it. I believe it because the Bible says so. But look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. You see, the elders understood. They knew that when God presented a problem, that God already had the answer. And this is what I'm talking about in the pattern of worship. You see, we look at all of these problems out here and we say, how are we going to solve the problem of abortion? How are we going to solve the problem of sodomy in our country? 
How are we going to solve the problems of murder and violence and, and, uh, and all of these things? Wait a minute. You're not going to solve anything. How did you solve the problem of your salvation? Why, it was the lion of the tribe of Judah that has prevailed. Amen. You see, God presents the problem, but it is the power of God that is the solution. Look at verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne. Now, I wish I could explain that. Here we have God sitting upon the throne, and He describes the throne in the early parts of chapter 4. Yet in the midst of the throne appears the Lamb as if it had been slain, and yet He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. In verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. You see, he prevailed. We look at the cross and we see weakness, do we not? We see His suffering, do we not? We see the death of our Savior, do we not? That's what the cross is supposed to show us. But it was in that time where Christ died for us that He was showing the power of Almighty God. Three days later, that Roman seal that was guarding the tomb was broken. Those mighty Roman soldiers played dead. The wisest thing they could do. Amen. And Jesus came out of the tomb. The stone was not removed so he could get out. It was removed so you and I could see in. Amen. And then comes the greatest Offering of praise and worship in the entire Scripture. Verses 9 through 14. And they sung a new song. That's why we sing songs on Sunday morning. Well, I want to practice up. I can't wait till I get to heaven. Man, I was trying to hit them high notes at the end of that. Saved, saved, saved. And it's just not there. I'm sorry. So, what you do is you try to back away from the microphone. If you got one of these on, you just got to back away and be a little quiet so you don't disturb people that can hit that note. Amen. Uh, but when I get to heaven, boy, I'm going to be able to hit all those notes and it's going to be loud. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. But here's why they sung the song. Verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue 
and people and nation. Now, I want to stop right there. The greatest problem you have today, the greatest obstacle to your worship today is your sin. How are you going to get that problem solved? The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. It is the lamb that had been slain. It is his blood that shed on the cross that gives us the right to stand in the very presence of a holy God. Why do we worship Jesus today? The number one reason why we ought to worship Jesus is because he saved you. And he doesn't give you a halfway salvation, by the way. He doesn't give you one that comes with a set of instructions and says, Now listen, if you don't live a certain way, I'm going to take that salvation away. It's eternal life. Amen? It is a salvation that lasts as long as God does. Now, if you can't say amen to that, your amen is done busted. But Jesus can fix it. Amen? Amen? Okay, next Sunday, amen. I'm going to bit that sermon out again. We've got to work on this. I know this is up north, but we, we need to learn how to say amen because we're going to need to do that when we get to heaven. Here's the pattern of worship. You have to understand the presence of God. God then will present the problem. God then presents his power as the solution to the problem. Then we praise God for solving the problem. Amen. Can you see that there in that passage as we look through that? We see the presence of God. We see the problem. And poor John is so overcome that he is just weeping profusely. And the elder says, shut up. That doesn't belong here. The answer's on the way. It says the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. That means won the victory. And then we praise. The first reason they praise is because of salvation. Until you understand that God is the creator God of this universe, why would you believe in him as your savior? Until you understand that God can do nothing but good. It seems funny to be talking about that at a graveside when we're there to remember someone that died because of sickness and disease and all of those things. But I want to tell you, God is good. I'm glad that this body isn't going to live forever. I'm glad if we could say with the psalmist in in Psalm 119, I'm glad that I was afflicted, taught me how to obey. God is always good. You see, look at the next two verses here. I mean, the next verse, by the way. By thy blood, the last phrase of verse 9, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. 
does that not solve all the racism in this world today? Does not that verse right there strike at all of the differences that are in our society today? And we don't have time, nor do we want to take the time this morning to worry about all of the preachers of diversity. That is a lie. You listen to those people who talk about diversity. Just disagree with them and see how much they want your diversity around. You're out of here, bud. Listen, God has true diversity. And we have true unity. Not because you're a bunch of people who have been mesmerized by the preaching of the Word of God, but you've looked in this book, and I've looked in this book, and you know what we found out? It says the same thing. Amen? The words don't change for you. It's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's His truth. And that's what gives us our unity. There's only one way of salvation, and that's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as I can look out here over our auditorium this morning, I can see a pretty good representation of every kindred and every blood. I I love what God has done here at our church in bringing all the different people groups of the world together. And you know what? We don't have wars on Sunday morning. We worship the Lord together. That's what this verse talks about. Now look at verse 10. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, how many would raise a hand with me to the Lord this morning and say, I am concerned about the political dilemma our nation faces? Would you do that with me just so... Because my heart is broken over things that I see going on. But the answer is not writing letters to the administration. If they had wanted your opinion, they would have asked for it. Isn't that the way it normally works? Now, I'm not against voicing our opinion, using freedom of speech. Don't misunderstand me, but that's not how you're going to solve the problem. Because the answer is not you. The answer is the power of God. If every believer in Jesus Christ, if every person who lived on this continent, who claimed to believe in Jesus Christ, would just live in worship to God, it'd change this country that quick. Amen? There used to be a time in this nation when you got up in a public forum and promoted the idea of abortion, that you were booed down, that people just got up and left. They would not listen to you. You had, hey, you have freedom of speech, but I also have freedom not to have to listen to your speech. Amen? There was a time when people were afraid to say, I'm a homosexual. 
And I believe in, in marriage between homosexuals. Now, I'm not proposing violence. Anybody that would do that is just as wicked as the people who promote the sin. The answer is not there. The answer is the power of God. You see, it's people living clean. Why do you think they're attacking the church today in our freedom of speech and the ability to pray in public in the name of Jesus Christ? You see, the very presence of God demands worship to award Him. Amen? It is God's power in the lives of individuals that has made this nation what it was. And it is the lack of that power of God in their lives that has made this nation what it is today. Would you agree with me on that statement? You're not going to get God's power by going into a closet and covering your head and waiting until the lightning strikes. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You're not going to get God's power on your life by just reading your Bible through 500 times in a year. You're not going to get God's power in your life except through a true worship relationship with Him when you present the problems or allow the problems that God has presented to be solved by His power in your life. Could we say amen to that? God, do that in my life. And when He does... Then we praise Him. Amen? But it didn't stop at just kings, the political and economic life. It says, and priests. I get so weary people saying, well, anybody that really believes in religion today is the problem. No, that is not the problem, my friend. The problem is false religion. If you believe in a religion that allows you to wage physical war against other people, let me tell you, it's not a Bible religion. How many times did people take up the cross? Does anybody remember the story of old Emperor Constantine? He stuck a cross on top of the eagle of Rome and said, In this sign, conquer! And he fanaticized his military and they won against a superior force. And we had the first Christian emperor. By the way, Constantine refused to be baptized in public identification with Jesus Christ until he was near death because he wanted more of his sins washed away by the water of baptism. And so he figured if he waited until he knew he was going to die, he'd have a lot better chance of going to heaven. What does that tell you about Mr. Constantine? Didn't get to heaven. Water doesn't take away your sin. I don't care how holy you think it is. There's no such thing as holy water. But there is a holy Savior. And it's His power that makes the difference. 
the true church of Jesus Christ has never taken a sword to defend itself. Because it's the power of God that protects his people. Amen? And yet, in medieval Europe, when the Protestants finally came along and began to crack the chains and break the chains of bondage to the church at Rome, what happened? Mr. Luther and Mr. Calvin and some of the other leaders found that this, they called it vermin, uh, diseased Christianity springing up all over Europe. These people were coming out of the woodwork. You know what we call them? We call them Baptists. Amen. You see, they just believed this book. They said, no man has a right to tell me whether I can preach or not. It's Jesus' church that gives the authority to preach. You ought to read the story of John Bunyan and his testimony as an ignorant roof thatcher to the chief justice from which he stood and served 12 years in prison in several different times just because he wouldn't take a state license to preach. You see, John Bunyan didn't get his power from the government. He got it from his worship of the Savior. That's the answer. It's not going out and confounding the Jehovah's Witnesses. Let me tell you, they're already confounded. Just try to talk to them sometime. You're not going to out-argue anybody into heaven. You want the power? You get with the Savior. How about family problems? That's a problem now, isn't it? How are you going to solve that problem? You have to take them to him who has the power. The only place the power is found is in the presence of God. You said, but they don't want to go. They don't believe in God. Uh, Here's the answer. You believe in God. You live for God. You find God's power to solve your problems. You spend your time praising Him for what He has done. Like I told the man in the psych ward that called me crazy, I get to go home. You have to stay here. Don't you call me crazy. Amen? You see, I don't care what problem it is you face today. This is why the book of James says rejoice when we fall into diverse temptations. Could we look at our problem as an opportunity to see God work? We would be thankful for our problems. And I wish I could tell you as your pastor that I have this now. And that, boy, 
It is just so wonderful to live in the power of God all the time. But I'd be a liar just like a lot of other people. Listen. That's what I want God to do in my life. How about you? See, that's what real worship is. It's not dancing on the stage and feeling good about things. It's not an emotional trick that makes you feel wonderful on Sunday and kind of loses its glitter on Monday. And by the time you get to Saturday, uh, I just got to go to church and get more of that. Listen, God's power is there 24-7. His worship is real. But first of all, you got to have the presence of God. You've got to believe who He is. By the way, can you escape the presence of God? No. It's there. But you have to believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Then when that problem comes, stop getting so upset about all the mean things God's done to you. And understand that the lion of the tribe of Judah has already prevailed. That the victory has already been won. And let him have the victory. Then you can praise him. Because he will solve the problem. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And Lord, we we want to worship. And Lord, I, I I want to live in the power of your victory. Lord, I, I want to stop looking to myself and to my abilities to solve the problem. Lord, I ask that you would be with our church, with each one that is here. That we would want the kind of worship that you have in your word. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are unsaved. That you would do your work. Lord, that they would be able to turn loose of their religion, of their politics, of their goodness of their evil of everything they have and simply trust in the Savior we ask Lord that you would be honored and glorified during this time of invitation in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand together the hymn of invitation is one we use all